that we are taking a break from the book of Acts, and we're hitting several different things. Um, we're talking about marriage. Today we're talking about remembering. Next week we're going to talk about rest. And it seems like in every moment that I've uh, been working on these sermons, God has sent something um, almost as an illustration to my own life about um, the importance of something about the sermon. And for me last week, I don't know if you remember, once we left on Sunday, after it started to rain, and if you went outside after that, you may have looked up and noticed that there was a double rainbow in the sky. Now, I found it a bit coincidental, perhaps ironic at least, that that rainbow happened near the last day of uh, June. So regardless of why that rainbow was in the sky, for me, what that meant was it was a reminder of me of the reason God placed the bow in the sky, as he mentions in Genesis. And if you remember, you know, after the flood had happened, God says, in the sky, and that's going to be the evidence, the promise of my covenant to remind you that I will never again flood the earth with water. And it was a beautiful thing. And one of the things that I think I learned or thought about more last week than I did this week, and probably any other time, was that as much as that rainbow in the sky is a reminder that God would not flood the earth again, it was also a reminder that God keeps his promises. It is a reminder that God keeps his promises. And I think what we really want to struggle with and wrestle with today is even in the midst of our desire to move past things that have happened and forget the goodness and glory of God, he gives us these reminders that we are to remember God in his ways and in his truth. One of the biggest detriments, in fact, to the Christian faith is that we simply forget who God is and what God has done. And so today I just want to provide for you a reason to remember, a reason to remember, whether it's that we forget the commands of God, whether it's that we forget God's works. We tend to have a very short memory when it comes to God. And it's taken me a fairly amount of time to realize this, but much of the disconnect that we often feel between us and God is that we forget God's history. Much of the disconnect that we forget with God, whether we feel alone, whether we feel abandoned, whether we feel displaced, is because we don't know that we have to go back to the word of God to reaffirm us, to remind us of who God actually is. And so we forget an impeccable, rather, track record for us. So today's sermon is to remind you that we have a reason to remember who God is. And when we remember who God is, it gives us more reason to be hopeful. And so you have a reason to continue in the faith. And so the, the primary text that we're working out of today is going to be Deuteronomy chapter Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you should keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. And let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your forefathers know. 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land of in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and those out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, that your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in my heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God after the gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Lord, we thank you for one more opportunity just to worship with you, God, just to share in the word. God, we thank you that you are going to bring to our remembrance all the things that you've done. But most importantly, God, you're going to remind us of who you are. And that everything that you do is a product of your nature. We thank you for this careful reminder. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there is uh, certainly a lot here, but we want to really work through this. And the first thing that we need to look at as we deal with the fact that we are that God always remembers. And God three ways, uh, probably most prominently. God always remembers his covenant. God always remembers his promises. God always remembers his people. God has never fallen short of a single promise that he has made for us. Even those of us who may be waiting on the return of Jesus Christ, the Bible even says that there are going to be scoffers who come in that day and says, but what we know based on what we know is that if God has made a promise, through his scripture, that it will come to pass. In this text, 
Moses is communicating to the Israelites what God is communicating to them. Having been brought out of the wilderness, some important principles for them to know and to remember. The basis of our relationship, by the way, with God, I stress this enough, will never be about our own goodness. It will never be about our own talent. It will never be about our own righteousness. The basis of our relationship with God will always be rooted in his goodness, his righteousness, his faithfulness. And we are pawns beneath him who, if we submit our lives, will fall right in line with the will of God. And so what we see here is that God is actually giving us a a game plan of sorts because he knows and he's communicating through Moses. You ended up in the wilderness because of your rebellion and your disobedience. But because I am faithful to my covenant, as long as you obey, that was a conditional promise that God made with the Israelites. If you obey, you will see the promised land. And so he tells them beforehand, he says, but I'm warning you. Because typically this is what happens with fallen man. You're going to get what I have promised you and forget that I'm the one who provided the promise in the first place. How often is that symbolic of our own lives as well, where we have prayed and pleaded and petitioned God about specific things? And once received, God to bless us with has now become a burden. Is it a burden because God bestowed a burden on us or is it a burden because we're not grateful enough to acknowledge that God has provided what he has promised? More importantly, that God has provided what we have petitioned him for. Now, we tend to think of ourselves as more deserving than we ought to more um, more often than not. We tend to think that we should be the recipients of God's goodness and, and grace. But. The problem is, if we look in Scripture, any time anybody has ever really wrestled with God, namely Job, any time anyone has questioned God, God always answers back his own questions. If you remember in the word of God, when Job is going through everything that he's going through, and we tend to laud Job and extol him and put him in his position, but you probably didn't even realize that in his frustration, his feeling of abandonment, Job asked God 200 questions. He asked God 200 questions, and all of them basically revolved around, why me, I have been a good person. But in those 200 questions, God responds with 80 questions of his own. See, God doesn't have to ask as many questions as Job because God knows all. God starts at the origination of the universe and then he asks Job, you're questioning me, but Job, where were you? See, my mind stretches far back before eternity, before you can even think anything to be thought, I was there. In other words, Job, you're questioning me, but what about the things that I can remember that you don't even know happened? See, when we are wrestling with and struggling with our relationship with God and feeling like we've been abandoned by God, we have to remember that God didn't just show up on the picture. God has been always. He does not have a beginning. Therefore, he does not have an ending. He exists in eternity past. And not only that, but he's sovereignly in control, which means not only does God remember everything, he knows everything before it happens. And so when God begins and he instructs the Israelites, he tells them in this scripture, 
which is important for us today, that they remember the whole way of the Lord. He says, remember the whole way of the Lord. Now, why does he find it significant? Because he tells them to do all the commandment that he gives them. God made it clear that their inheritance of the land was directly related to their obedience. So he instructed them to obey all that he says and remember the whole way of the Lord. And that's our first point for today. Remember the whole way of the Lord. Remember the whole way of the Lord. There is a tendency when we desire the blessings of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the grace of God, that anything God has provided for us, namely at the top of that list is going to be salvation, that even though God provides it, he then requires something of us. We often forget that. God is forewarning the Israelites here. You're going to want to not remember that I provided this for you. So before you get in the land, remember to do the whole way of the Lord. Commit yourself to the whole way of the Lord. That's such a common struggle amongst Christians. Whether you have the people who are so solid on their theology, but they're the impact that that theology has to have on other people. Or you have people who are so solid on having impact on other people that they don't realize that the theology needs to be rooted in something. We have to remember the whole way of the Lord. It is not you do part of it and think that you receive the full blessing and benefit of God. How many times have we prayed for God to give us a job and we forget that once we get on that job, that job now requires something of us, namely to show up on time. God's ambassador in the workplace. Think about how many times we prayed to God for things that we've now been bent to complain about. Why is that? Because it is in our sinful nature to forget what God has provided. It is our sinful bent. And it starts in Genesis. Did God surely say, you should not eat of it? And all of a sudden, there's this memory lapse. I, you know, I don't know what God said. I think he said, don't touch it either. He didn't say that. But because of our sin nature, because we are not naturally going to remember the way of the Lord, we have to be reminded. Many of us forget that when God has provided something that there is an expectation for which God has provided. No, you're not just praying for a better job. You're going to be God's ambassador on that job. No, you're not just praying for a marriage. You're going to be God's ambassador and representative in that marriage. And he gives good reason here why we should remember the whole way. He said, this is the reason why you need to remember the whole way of the Lord. You were in the wilderness. He says, you were in the wilderness and you weren't just in the wilderness by mistake. You got yourself there. 
your own disobedience. It was your own rebellion. It was your own sin that got you there. But it's beautiful. God is so good that even in our sin, he has given us an outcome, a reason for it and a reason to remember. It is true that some of our most humbling moments, some of the biggest lessons that we learn in our lives have come as a result of our sin. It has come because in the midst of our sin, not only did God humble us, but he restored us. And when we want to go on and pursue and press back into more sin, we have to remember how we were broken down by that sin. God says that he used the wilderness as a means to humble his people. How? He says by showing them what is in their hearts. None of us know what is truly in our hearts until we see it. That's the same thing that happened with the Israelites. They did not know that gratefulness was in their heart. They didn't know that this rebellion was in their heart until God said, no, I'm going to take you and let you hunger. But then I'm going to feed you and I'm going to show you that you'll always be ungrateful. That unless you actually pursue me and not just the things that I can provide, you will always be looking for the next opportunity for God to do something. And that's why so many people are angry with the idea that they have created about God. God, you are obligated to bless me. You are obligated to provide for me. And even A corollary truth has to be that if God is obligated to bless you, then you are obligated to then obey. That's often where many of us fall short. So it is important that we remember the whole way of the Lord, but it is equally valuable, perhaps even more to remember. I have not kept the whole way of the Lord. I have forsaken God time after time. I have not kept his ways. I have not. Him, even in the moments when I knew what to do right versus wrong, I still chose wrong. And God is saying, if you remember the whole way of the Lord and if you remember that you haven't kept it, you remember the grace and the mercy I extended to you in those moments of disobedience. But, as Paul says, not as an opportunity to continue in sin, but to look at the grace you have been given and turn from your disobedience. We often think that the punishment of God to the Israelites was their wandering, but them not being able to see their wrong and repent actually kept them out of the promised land. So what is that message for us? Not only will we wander around spiritually, aimlessly, forsaking God's way will keep us out of our eternal promised land. That's the truth. You will see people get the theology right, but then they know how to love their neighbors and they love the neighbors and don't get the theology right. You have to know the whole way of God. You cannot forsake it. It brings us to number two. Remember God's provision. First one, 
the whole way of the Lord. This one is to remember God's provision. When we think of provision, we tend to think that the highest level of God's provision is that God meets our actually counters that line thinking from quoting this off-quoted verse. He said that, yes, I humbled you and under so that you could be provided food. But then he says that that was to show you that you do not live by bread alone. You do not just live by what I can provide for you physically. You live by the fact that I can substantiate you spiritually. You don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Why is this such an emphatic point to make? I mean, we understand, yeah, God is saying this because they were really ungrateful for the food that they were provided. But what's the impact? I think it is best seen in the Gospels when Satan comes to Jesus. While fasting and undoubtedly hungry for 40 days, Satan comes to him, not only offering him kingdoms, but he also offers him food. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy and he says, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The temptation on the part of Satan is that he wants Jesus to think that his life source is found just in that God meets our physical needs. And while that is definitely a component of what God does for us, at the top of that list is that God has supplied our spiritual needs. He has met us right in the middle of our deficiencies. And the greatest of those is not our hunger, but it is our spiritual condition. Jesus shows us what communicates here in Deuteronomy. You are in desperate need of me, but you don't know it. And so in order for me to let you know how much you need me, I will strip everything else that you think is fulfilling you. The money, the food, the jobs, the people. He took them and he let them wander in the wilderness for 40 years just so he could show them that I am the Lord, your God. What do you think God is willing to do to us to show us the same thing? More than anything, God is showing us that he will pull no punches in drawing us to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones was once introduced to this preacher that everyone thought was amazingly gifted and after the man that preached somebody asked Jones what he had thought of the sermon he said you know it was good he's good he's okay he said but he hasn't been broken yet he hasn't been humble yet and until then he'll just be good but once he's humbled once he's broken then he'll be great Listen, this is a testimony for every single one of us. Every one of us who is saved know that there is a breaking point. And if you are a Christian, there are breaking points over the course of your life, which reminds you not how broken and sinful you are, but how good and gracious and loving and kind and merciful God is. But the reality is, is that if we have not been broken, if we have not been humbled, if we have not been laid bare before the altar of God, we will always 
have this false sense of what we deserve. We will always have this false sense of where we are in life. And so what God has done is showed us through through our need for his physical provision that he has made it clear that he has created in every single one of us a chasm in our hearts. And we will do our best to try to fill that with all sorts of things, all sorts of sinful things, all sorts of things that are not necessarily sinful. But what God is trying to get to show is it doesn't matter what you try to fill your heart with. That chasm is God sized. And nothing will satisfy you. Nothing will fulfill you like God will fulfill you. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. It will not just be in that God is providing our needs. Why? Because we have been commanded, rather than seeking and pursuing his things, to seek and pursue his righteousness. So what should we remember? The thing that Israel and all of us would naturally forget. God is enough. God is enough. He is adequate for everything that you need and everything that you desire. And he has this amazing way of not only stripping and humbling us, but sometimes he humbles us by providing to us what we thought we wanted from him in the first place. And what he does is he shows us for the first time through success, through notoriety, this doesn't fulfill you, does it? And he shows us that the void that we have can only be filled by him. We have to remember that God is enough. And it is so easy for all of us to only lean on what we perceive God is doing. But what about what God has done? What about who God is? When the Israelites were being oppressed in Egypt, the scripture says that there was a Pharaoh that rose in Egypt. And he did not remember Joseph. Why is that significant? Because the only reason that they had had peace through all that time was because Joseph, an Israelite, had gotten into the second commander in Egypt. And he says that the only reason that y'all are at strife right now because this Pharaoh didn't remember Joseph. In a similar way, probably more emphatically, it wasn't just Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph, but I think it was the Israelites who didn't remember Joseph either. They didn't remember that when he was thrown into the pit, when he was sold, when he was in jail, when he was in the palace, that God was with him every step of the way. And in the depth of that feeling of loss and abandonment, the Israelites should have remembered what God had done for Joseph. When we feel dejected and rejected, we have to remember that it is God's desire to fill us with himself. As the scriptures say, he yearns jealously over the spirits that he has made to dwell in us. I'm not living by the fickle principles of this world, but I'm living and cleaving to his word. 
I am not being sustained just by what God provides, but I'm being sustained by who God is. That brings us to our final point, quick one. Remember God's judgment. Remember God's judgment. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is another truth that many of us wrestle with, but I want to make it as simply and as clearly as possible. If we believe that there is a benefit to us, that God is honoring our faithfulness to him, then the reality is that he has to have a punishment for us if we disregard the truth as well. You cannot have the benefit of God without the reality of the judgment of God. We know that. And be honest, though, simply knowing that there is judgment is not enough motivation for righteousness. Simply knowing that we will have a verdict rendered for our life is not enough motivation for righteousness. So what is? It's this. Yes, there is a judgment from God, and it means that if I am a Christian, then that was paid on my behalf by Jesus. How are we to remember that? One, the Bible says that we should always bear in our hearts the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because at the core of who we are, we have to remember that a man was crucified in our place so that we could be obedient to his word. This is why Jesus said, if you love me, It will make you keep my commandments. The only shot we have at obedience is that we love God. A single man took the judgment of God so that I could have the full benefit of God. So when we come together in fellowship with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, we are recommitting ourselves to him. We are saying that I have been given an out. I have been given an escape from the judgment of God. Therefore, not only will I not forget, but I will actively remember. I will remember God's way. I will remember God's provision and his judgment because I have been bypassed. And this is the reason why we remember. Because God has completely and utterly overwhelmed us with his grace and his mercy. Let's pray.